0: So it is uh, March 5th, 2014. Our message tonight is called Up Higher. And uh, I thought I would start with a D.L. Moody quote that Brother Zeke sent me from Submission Ministries. And uh, God willing, this will be something that blesses you. This is the autobiography of Dwight L. Moody. Autobiography meaning that he wrote it. And you have to love how he begins this. He says, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Norfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all. Out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal. A body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint. A body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837, and I was born of the Spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the Spirit will live forever. I got to say that's the best start to a book I've ever seen. I want to remind you, church, that even when we lose, we win. Because the Bible says in Matthew 16, 25, that he who loses his life, Finds it. That's good news, isn't it? No matter what happens from here on out, if you are in Christ, you are a victor. Let's put away victim mentalities. Let's put away the idea that we are beat down and oppressed and begin to pick up with smiles on our faces the idea that if we're in Christ, we're on the higher ground, amen? I've received bad report after bad report from friend and from foe. But in the name of Jesus, I'm taking the higher ground. Turn with me to Acts 19. I want to talk to you about guys like D.L. Moody, guys like the Apostle Paul, men who were on that higher ground. Our lives are full of conflict, which I preached about Sunday. They're full of hardship, which I preached about Sunday and there's a reason for it. I want you to consider these verses, starting in verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now I'm not normally one to root for devils, But there is a difference between being in Christ and knowing about Christ. There is a difference between being intertwined with his spirit and simply being familiar with the things of God. When Paul invoked the name of Jesus, he was invoking the name of his friend, his Savior, his Deliverer, and most of all, his Master. When they invoked the name of Jesus, they were invoking the name of someone who Paul preached about. Second-hand knowledge of Jesus is not enough. Simply knowing what your parents have taught you or what a six-foot-tall icicle standing behind a podium has preached at you, this is not enough. What have you experienced of God? In the quiet times of your prayer life, What has he spoken to you? In what way has he revealed himself to you? How much of you have you opened up to him? One of the things that I love about this passage more than any other is Paul was so dangerous to the enemy that they knew his name even though he had never met him. He said, Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And I want to ask you, church, Are we on high enough ground that we'd become a threat to the enemy or are we bottom dwellers still staring at starry real estate? Because when you stand on the high ground that is Christ, all the power of Christ becomes available to you. The apostle Paul showed up in Ephesus and he so turned it upside down, they burned their books. The entire city turned out in an uproar. He caused quite the commotion. Even the heavenly realms took note, not just of Jesus' name, but of his too. This demon didn't say, yeah, Paul cast me out before. He said, I know about Paul. In other words, somewhere in their little demon meetings, they had been warned. This one's not like the others. This one is not preaching about something he heard. He's not stealing an internet message. He has experienced the power of God. And having experienced it, he's learned to use it and that made him dangerous. You can sit in church your whole life and learn about a subject but never have experienced it. My favorite quote in all of the world came from Smith Wigglesworth. When talking about the things of the Spirit, he said the man with the experience is not at the mercy of a man who merely has an argument. To everybody else, Jesus is an argument. The things of God are an argument, but to me, my friend spoke to me in 1993 when I was an enemy, when I didn't deserve to hear his voice, and the first thing that he told me was, you're on a road to death, and I'm calling you to higher ground, son. Now, those aren't the words he used, but that's how I've come to understand what he told me. He told me I was fighting for the wrong side and I called him Lord and pledged my life to him if he would only change me. See, there is no way to get from where you were to where you're going without making a U-turn. You can't continue in the course you've always been on and just ask him to bless it. You know all about him. You can even argue about him. But you will not experience him like that. But those of us that have tasted of that heavenly gift the powers of the age to come. We win even when we lose. You can strike me down, and before my body hits the ground, I will be in the presence of God. D.L. Moody was so confident of that, he put it as the opening lines of his autobiography. And he's not dead today. He's standing in the presence of God. This is a confidence that confounds the world. What are you going to do? Threaten me with Heaven? Take away everything that I own. I gave it all to Christ when I was born again. How can you threaten me? While you're in Acts 19, let us consider a theme that I began on Sunday and I want to remind you of before we go up higher. In Acts 19, look at verse 32. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis, goddess of the Ephesians. Now... I've picked up in the middle of a story because I don't want to preach about Acts 19. I want to make a point. We live in a time when people are shouting all the louder lies. They're shouting them in unison and most don't even know why they're repeating them or why they're there. One of my pet peeves is when someone forwards a story on the internet without ever having checked it out. And before long, it circles the globe, and it was a lie the first time it was sent, and it was a lie the 100,000th time it was sent. But people are just in confusion and going along with the crowd, right? Websites like Snopes.com have made their living off of straightening those things out. And Christians can be some of the worst at this, because we want something to be true doesn't make it true. You can read an internet story that says the Pope has 10 foot horns growing out of his head and while it's plausible, just because it was on the internet doesn't make it true. We need to be careful during this day and time because what we're beginning to hear over and over and over (coughs) are sins that are repeated loud enough and long enough that they no longer feel like sins. Abstinence is a joke now. Even Christians don't want an abstinence program taught in school because it's unpractical. We would rather have a sex education program that teaches people how to sin in the hopes of not having a temporal consequence. The Bible says there's a wage for sin and it's death. That's something that a prophylactic cannot cure and a doctor cannot cut out. We live in a time where consequence is being removed from sin and it's being shouted so loud and so long and so often that the church is beginning to hear its tune and dance to it. Church, it's time to wake up. It's time to realize what's happening around us is propaganda. It's what an enemy does when they know something is not true to baptize the hearts and minds of people to their message. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. All others are liars. We need to learn this word. We need to get it in our heart. We need to learn how to go up to higher ground and tune out the enemy's voice. I like the news as much as the next guy, but some years ago, I made a decision that I didn't want to hear more news than I heard good news. Good news. Some years ago, I made a decision that I didn't want to hear more talk radio than I heard praise. Some years ago, I made a decision that I wanted more spirit and less flesh in my life. Some years ago, I made a decision to get out of the propaganda war. Are you hearing me? You have to imagine that there were good people, at least as worldly people go, in Ephesus. They didn't even know why they were there. They just heard everyone shouting. Imagine that you happened to walk by a courtyard outside Pontius Pilate's stone pavement and heard everybody yelling, crucify him. Most days, that would not be a bad thing to say. The guy probably deserved to be crucified. But if you showed up on that day, how about when they got to let his blood be on our heads and the heads of our children's children? The price might be higher than you think it is. Are you hearing me? What is becoming passed off as good is evil. We need to not call it a weakness. Need to not call it an alternate lifestyle. Need to not call it a choice. We need to call it what it is, evil, and return to biblical terms, even if our own government calls it hate speech. Turn with me to Ephesians. We will elevate this message. How many things do you hear in a day stated as fact that are not fact? My goodness. You know, we're joking. Some of the things that I embrace wholeheartedly in the book of Genesis, people call a theory, but they're pretty sure that if Darwin said something, it's a fact. You know what's a fact? He had 10 children. That's a fact. Of his ten children, only three lived to reproduce. How well did survival of the fittest work for the Darwinites? You know, if survival of the fittest is the way of the world, then poor Darwin, he was one of the truly weaker ones. So crippled by anxiety, fear, and demonization that he couldn't attend his own children's funerals. And if you knocked on his door, he hid behind the curtains in his house and threw up, and then retreated to his room and wrote about it. It's in his diaries, friends. You can read them. Not everything that's held up as righteous or good or fact or trustworthy is. The ultimate source of truth is this book, all others are lies. I've thoroughly examined the Book of Mormon, it is absurd. It's absurd beyond any reasonable expectation. It contains places, people, cities that have never existed in the North American continent. It contains events uh, where glass breaks before there's glass, where animals that have never been on this continent are present. It contains so many falsehoods that Joseph Smith would have been considered the greatest liar in his county had his father not already held that title. I've looked at the New World Translation of the Jehovah's Witness and the man who claimed superior knowledge of Greek and Hebrew did not recognize the Greek and Hebrew alphabet when put before him in a court of law. People will believe almost anything. But we have a source of truth. And when you experience it, it changes everything. Are you in Ephesians 5? If you want to read about Joseph Smith or Charles Russell, if you want to look into those things, there's a great book called Kingdom of the Cults we've made available in the library. Here's Ephesians 5 starting in verse 13. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do you think they're more or less evil now? Has the power of wickedness diminished or grown? We have to wake up. We can't be asleep. We have to shine light on this situation. It's not enough to say to each their own, and I just don't want to make waves, you know, because people are really dying, and they're really going to hell. Next time you're worried about offending someone, imagine them on fire, literal flames. How worried about offending them would you be if it put out the flames? Let's put this in perspective, friends. Next time somebody tells you that a woman has the right to choose, make them finish the sentence. Choose what? Put it in perspective. If we don't stand for the things that are right, haven't we kind of given our tacit approval to things that are wrong? I want to be on the record. Today, I was offered a settlement that is 90% Less than the total amount. But it's wrong. It's wrong if it's 1%. It's wrong if it's one one-thousandth of a percent. Wrong is wrong, and right is right, and the numbers don't really matter. Do you know how hard of a concept that is for an attorney to grasp? But Jennifer, before we left, we were having church, weren't we? Before we almost got to join hands and pray. It was close. Maybe there'll be another meeting. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I love that many of my brothers have championed the idea of do not get drunk on wine, but let's not leave out the second half of the verse we got to get full of the Holy Ghost. When men are full of the Holy Ghost, they have power to witness. They have power to stand in unimaginable situations. When they're full of the Holy Ghost, they can sing hymns while they're burned at the stake. Every problem that a person can have is cured by getting full of the Holy Ghost. If you're a participator in God's nature, if he's welling up on the inside of you, you will be a better spouse. You will better tolerate your spouse who is not being a good spouse. You'll be a better employee. My goodness, you even get better looking. People who smile all the time are far better looking than the ugly ones frowning. It's an instant facelift, Cody. It's better than a plastic surgery. Leaves no scars. Guys, our job is to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. By the way, when you say a hymn is a is a religious song, then what's a spiritual song? Oh, could we be talking about singing in the spirit? Could we be talking about something that you can only do as your spirit is in contact with God's Spirit? Do you think that this Bible is about dry dead religion? our hearts that are saturated in the presence of God. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everyone. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence. This word tells us to wake up and to be wise. Everybody is traveling somewhere. Most of them have GPSs now. Has your GPS ever led you astray? Oh, man, every time I want to go through Dallas, it wants me to go through subdivisions. I don't know what unholy alliance there is between Google Maps and the people that live on that street, but they are funneling business to a single taco stand. You know, when you travel long distances, do you prefer to do it with lots of stop signs? Do you prefer to do it with a few red lights? Or do you want to get on a highway See, there are a lot of ways to get from here to there. Some cost a lot, some take a long time, and some have heavenly benefits. There are all kinds of roads. So let me talk to you about a toll road. Can we put Proverbs 16:25 on the screen? In Proverbs 16:25, it says, "There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death." How many of you cannot argue with your husband? About asking for directions. Don't lie in church, Matt. If you have a husband, we got big problems. You need to relocate to the left coast, set up residence in San Francisco, be a priest in the Order of Saint Francis of Assisi. Come on, now. Am I the only man that does not like to receive directions while I'm driving? Charlie, I was looking for help from you. Joe's not here. We won't tell her. No, no, I I, yeah, I get it. I get it. I like when the GPS tells me where to go. You know why? There's no penalty when I say, shut up, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> it's actually funny. We joke in the car. Maybe I'm the one joking. Jim says it's not that funny. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. You can be going in a direction that you think is right and the price be higher than you thought it was. I recently drove through Delaware. I thought Louisiana was small. And when I drove through Delaware, the speed limit was 55. And it's possible that I was on cruise control slightly higher than 55. And it seemed to have no penalty. It was about two thirty in the morning. Everybody was sleeping in the car. Zeke and I were discussing the glories of God. Elijah tucking his cloak in his chariot and out, or cl- tuck, tucking his cloak in his belt and outrunning chariots—that's every pastor's excuse to speed, right? The problem is, when I got home, letters from the state of Delaware started to show up. And they sent me pictures of myself speeding. (laughs) So I took a picture of a checkbook and mailed it to them. (laughs) No, I didn't. I wanted to. Jennifer wouldn't let me. The price was higher than I thought it was to go that way. Has nobody ever been on the toll road? It seemed expedient. It seemed like it was as good as any other way. Because the devil kept the consequence hidden until after the act. Are you hearing me? The toll road is a devil. (laughs) It is a devil. Because if when you got on that thing, it shot you with the maximum fee, you probably wouldn't get on it. You got on it because you thought it was easy. It was close to free. And later you found out it wasn't. Are you hearing me? This is exactly what sin is like. It seems expedient. It seems like it's going to be okay. Probably won't cause you any problems. But weeks behind, sin is trailing back there and it's waiting to catch up to you. And at some moment, it always does. I don't like toll roads. And what do they say when they make a toll road? It's only going to have a fee for so long and then it'll be a free road. Has that ever happened? No. You can think that you know what the price of sin is. You can say, ah, look, I know what's going to happen when I do this, but I want to assure you the the fee is always higher than you think it is. It always lasts longer than you think that it should. You can think that you can take the penalty, but you don't really know how many years it's going to be assessed, do you? They told us when they built Beltway 8, the Sam Houston Tollway, that it would pay for itself in seven years. It may well have paid for itself, but the tolls didn't stop. They go up every year. Sin is exactly that way. I can tell this lie this one time. Nobody will be hurt from it. It will just, you know, make this situation a little easier. You have no idea how the devil might use that lie. Toll roads are expensive, friends. Look at Deuteronomy 29. When you get to Deuteronomy 29, look at the 19th verse with me. Say there when you're there. 29, starting in 19. When such a person hears the words of this oath, He invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. This will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive him. If you've never underlined that verse in your Bible, I'd encourage you to do so. It's not in most people's theology at all. The Lord will, what's that word? Never be willing to forgive him. His wrath and zeal will burn against that man. All the curses written in this book will fall upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. It's not enough to hear about the blessings in the word and be able to recite them. It's not enough to consider that you know enough about Israel that you should get all the blessings of Israel. When we go our own way, we are denying Christ rather than denying self. When we go our own way, the toll may be so high that it actually ends in your death. I wonder how many people are walking around going their own way but feeling forgiven by God, at least claiming to. I remember sitting in a car with a man who was telling me it was okay for me to be a Christian as long as I didn't go getting all fanatical on him. I thought, man, we're relatives and you don't know me, do you? As we listened a little more and I talked a little more, he explained that he had been religious all of his life, that he was progressive enough to know that it's all right to murder babies. God's not really concerned about your language. God's not really concerned about drunkenness or your five marriages. He's only concerned about what's in your heart. Have you heard that lie, church? Not very many people are that honest about it. This man was. He told me he was right with God, not scared to die. Of course, I was there when he died, and he spent $300,000 trying to stay alive. Why do men spend their very last dollar to stay alive if they're not scared of judgment? Do you think maybe he'd been lying to himself all of his life because he persisted in going his own way? He was on the toll road, and now comes the toll booth. See, I don't want to be on the toll road. Do you? Turn with me to Isaiah 53. Say there when I'm there. In Isaiah 53, let's acknowledge verse 6. We all, who? We all. So watch this. You people (laughs) and me too. If you want to say it in the south, y'all. We all, like sheep, have done what? Each of us has turned to his own way. What did God say about that? I won't forgive you for that. Of course, he said, if you persist in going your own way. It turns out that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus the Christ, the iniquity of us all. If a man is going the wrong direction, if he realizes he's on the toll road, if he sees the toll booth coming and goes, my God, I have ruined my life, and he's willing to turn around and head in whatever direction God would say, then God puts that toll fee on Jesus' easy tag. But it wasn't all that easy, was it? How big was the debit? Well, it took all the flesh off of his back. If the Psalms are inspired, and I believe they are, it pulled all the hairs out of his face. It engraved us in the palms of his hands. It caused the anointed son of God to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Separated from his father for the first time in his life. He experienced separation so that if you would repent, you don't have to. How important is the U-turn? Oh, man. I love it in Austin. They have a U-turn lane. They have an entire lane dedicated to U-turns at the top of overpasses. Oh, man. The church needs to have a U-turn lane. There is such value in saying, I'm sorry. I thought I was on the king's highway, but it's clear I've been going my own way. I'm starting to catch tolls in the mail and I'm embarrassed because I've sinned. I'm going to turn around before this ends in my death and I beg you to learn from my example. You know, we like leaders who preach great. We like leaders who worship great. Oh dear God, if we can strain out a miracle, we love preachers who pray great. I think we need to learn to love preachers who repent well and we hate them. We don't want men to admit weakness. We don't want them to be flawed. We want them to be Jesus for us. The reality of the Christian walk is that you and I are not a bit different. I just have a different function than you do. Mine is a mouthpiece in the body of Christ. I'm supposed to sound a clear call and ward off judgment, but you and I both ought to always be repenting Does it shock you that your pastor needs to repent all the time? Talk to Jen, it won't shock you anymore. The more we can learn to course correct, to repent, the fewer tolls there'll be. In my first 18 years, I racked up such a toll bill that I ought to have been incarcerated and put to death. But that penalty fell on Jesus. And I learned about something else. You can find it in 1 Timothy. Turn to 1 and verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful appointing me to his service. Appointing me to his what? Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man I was shown mercy. Mercy. It turns out that if you make a U-turn while you're on the toll road, there's another road waiting right there beside it called a service road. God will take you off of the toll road that is crushing your life with heavy and oppressive fees and he will put you on a service road leading to higher ground. Does anybody want to travel across the country on a service road? No, service is simply a means to get to the highway. But it turns out that to be on the service road causes a denial of your own direction, a denial of yourself. It causes you to have to lift up another's priority to change your pace, change your speed, and change your direction. And that's the first clue to getting on the highway. I believe that there is a higher way. Men like Dwight Moody found it. Men like Paul found it. And they shook the world. They shook the kingdom of hell with the power of God. all oh, that we could walk in that higher way. Men like Ezra found it. Let me ask you, would any of you like to be governor? Any of you like to be governor of a theocracy? Your king is God, and you're responsible for governing his nation. Anybody in here want to sign up for that? Husbands, you already have. He's king, he's the head of your household, and he has put you in his stead. You're responsible for its direction, you're responsible for its decisions, and you are responsible for its outcomes. Because of that, Ezra is a great example to how we govern God's house. Turn to the book of Ezra, pick up with me in the 6th, chapter. How did Paul get on the service road? He made a U-turn. In Hebrew, that's called the Teshuvah. Say there when you are there. Yeah, it's going to be Ezra 6. Ezra came to his position of influence during a time period when Israel had gone the wrong way. They had been on the toll road so long that they got to pay back 70 years' worth of going their own way. They got a chance to live as slaves when they were called to live as priests. They got a chance to live as oppressed when they were called to live in freedom. They got a chance to know what it was to be under a yoke when they were actually called to lead the world to freedom. And Ezra helped the nation turn around. The first thing that he did is in 618. And they installed priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. It's high time that the church has raised up priests who actually serve God. They stop serving themselves. They stop feeding themselves. They stop fleecing the sheep for their own purposes. They are there to serve God. Who does a priest serve first and foremost? If he serves men, then he will work for those men. Did you know that that was one of the curses that fell upon the priesthood? Have you ever read... Ezekiel, when you get to the end of Ezekiel, God speaks to the divisions of the priest. And he says of one of the divisions, you may never minister to me again. You may minister only to the people who come here. But the priestly order of Zadok, they may minister to me. See, sometimes the toll changes the whole direction of your life. Ezra appointed men who would serve God first and foremost. What is your life going to be about? Is it going to be about just being a good businessman or is it going to be about serving God? Is it going to be about fitting along in the PTA or is it going to be about serving God? Where are your priorities? I spoke with a woman today and Matthew had jumped out of his mouth. He couldn't help but say it. She said, I wish that I could homeschool. You may not like what Matt had to say. He said, of course you can. It's just whether or not you want to pay the cost. See, it would definitely cost her something. Not picking on her. We all have these choices to make, don't we? I wish I could homeschool. If that's your desire, do you think it came from the devil or do you think it came from God? the devil telling you to be the primary influence in your child and to instill godly values in them? Is that what the devil does? If she felt that way, where do you think that desire came from? But she's counting the cost. I understand. It's a high cost. Of course, what is the cost of not educating your child? Hmm? She took it well, didn't she, Matt? I thought she did. She's got a soft heart. It's funny why God has you run into people and when he has you run into them. We are here to serve him. You can be being sued and you're still here to serve him. You can be being told that babies don't have any more time to live, but you're there to serve him. You can be told that your elders' wives are not going to be able to breathe, but you're there to serve him. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, your purpose is to serve him. Ezra understood the service road. Turn with me to chapter 9. There was a sin happening in Israel, a sin that could cause a whole thing worse than captivity. What could be worse than having a nation go into captivity for 70 years under Babylon? What could be worse than being subjugated by a foreign power? Well, in the ninth chapter and 2nd verse, we see something that's an even bigger threat. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. Israel was told very strictly what nations they could marry from and what nations they could not. It was important to God to have a particular people group that his promises could come through. And if they so compromised themselves that in the most sacred of human covenants, they didn't honor him, They could cease to be a nation at all. What's worse than being under captivity? Ceasing to be a nation at all. You know, if they all intermarried, then there would be no Israel today. There would be no people that you could identify as the chosen people. Do you see what the devil was getting at now? Look at how Ezra responds to this. How do you respond when something threatens the plan of God? It's in verse 3. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. How appalled are you? Appalled enough to tremble at God's word? How appalled have we slipped so far that we actually laugh at their unholiness? See, because I do sometimes. We need to get back to a place where we're on a highway and we're appalled at what satisfies people on the toll road. We need to figure out what it is to walk with God in such closeness that the things that hurt Him actually hurt us. We need to share His heart. We need to tremble when He speaks because every word is important to us. Has God's Word become so cheap that you throw it around in your car? So cheap that we don't take the time to read it because after all we know what it says? So cheap that you're pretty sure you've read the whole thing but you can never name the date in which you finished it? Pretty sure that you know what's in it but don't ever remember reading the book of Obadiah? Are you hearing me, church? This passes for Christianity. There was a survey done of Christians in persecuted states. And do you know what they found? They found men that endure persecution often know large portions of Scripture, dedicate large portions of their day to prayer, and are so deeply principled in the Word that they don't see it as negotiable. Is that what our seminaries and churches are turning out? Or do we just turn out speakers? See... If you show up here and you hear the things of God and you leave and think that because you heard the things of God, you're good with God, you're deceived. It's not the man who hears the words of God who is declared righteous. It's the man who does what they say. So let's suppose that you're sitting in this congregation but you are planning to sin. You might ought to read Deuteronomy 29. What else could that possibly mean? If you don't believe it in Deuteronomy 29, perhaps you could read it in Hebrews 10. See, this is a serious thing. But those of us that are straining for the highway, those of us that long to get there, we've been praying to walk from that service road to higher ground all of our lives. We know how to get there. You acknowledge sin is sin. Your reaction is that you're appalled to it. You confess it. In chapter 10, in the third verse, you separate yourself from it. Look at his reaction in the third verse. Now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord. When you have been convicted by the Holy Ghost, do you just feel bad, say you're sorry, but make no changes? Or do you feel bad, say you're sorry, and then send it away you know some people simply shouldn't have computers some people have no business with a smartphone you'd do a whole lot better with a stupid one it's smart enough to get you into the pits of hell guys we have to decide that it's holiness or die trying. we have to listen to what's at stake We run the risk of mingling the holy race with every other thing. In the 8th verse, they speak of restitution. They say that if a man won't repent of a sin, then he can't own land in Israel. In other words, he has no share with us. Anyone who has failed to appear within three days will forfeit all of his property in accordance with the decision of the officials and the elders, and he himself will be expelled from the assemblies. When is the last time the church threw out a man who would not repent? I can tell you the day that we did it because we don't do it lightly. Holiness or die trying. Come on, say that with me. Holiness or die trying. This is not to beat us up, friends. I'm telling you there is a higher way than constantly U-turning. I'm going here, U-turn. Oh, here, u U-turn. You are walking in circles in Christ because you are persisting in going your own way. And there is higher ground. There is a better way. There is a right way to walk in. Turn with me to Acts 24. Say there when you were there. There was a lady who attended our church for a while and I liked her very much. And she said, all I ever did was preach on sin. Do you know what our response was? Stop sinning. If you're pretty sure you're good with God, that might be dangerous. I am certain that He loves me. I am certain that I am His friend. I am certain that I am walking hand in hand. And I'm also certain that if I don't see the kingdom of God unfolding before me every day, the problem's not with Him, it's with me and I need to adjust in any way possible because he sent me out to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. He sent me for that purpose, and I'm not seeing as much of it as I would like. The problem's not with him. It's with me. Maybe I'm on the service road claiming it's the highway. Maybe I'm on the highway, but I keep hopping on the shoulder. I'm not always sure what the problem is, but I know it's not with him. If something needs to move, is it God or is it you? and let's figure out what that is. Are you in Acts 24? Let us pick up in the 14th verse. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of thee, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. What a strange thing. Why did Paul not say, I admit that I follow Jesus as a Christian? That's not how Jews referred to following Jesus. They referred to him as the way. He referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. But the way was synonymous with something in Israel's history. It goes back as far as Numbers 21, 22. You can read about it there. It was called the king's highway. The king's highway ran through Israel, and it was considered to be among the safest roads. You know why? It was protected by the king. If you were on the king's highway, you shouldn't be robbed. If you were on the king's highway, there shouldn't be interference. It was under the jurisdiction of the king. In Proverbs 16 and verse 17, we find out that because of its safety, it became associated forever with safety. The highway of the upright avoids evil. He who guards his way guards his life. The highway he's referring to here is the king's highway. The king's highway was one that avoided evil, one that guarded life. Is your life on the king's highway or are you still on the toll road? Have you made Christianity simply about a service road? The service road's just to get you to the highway. Turn with me to Isaiah 35, and we will hear the way that they found. This is the way that I strive with all of my heart to walk in, and I'm inviting you to go with me. Ibrahim, when you walked into this church, I read to you from Isaiah 19. I prophesied to you about Isaiah. That was also the way. It's also in Isaiah 11, it's the way. But today we're in Isaiah 35 in Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, 11, 16, and 19, 23. But here is Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and of Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God, what will see those things? The desert and the parched land. See, if you already think you're an oasis, then God's got nothing to add to you. But if you feel dry, if you feel broken, if you're crushed by the weight of the toll, if the service that you've been laboring in for so long has never resulted in the actual highway, then there's good news for you. God is waiting to cause you to bloom. He's waiting to bring shouts of joy in your life. He's not the God of drudgery. He's the God of joyful victory. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. Where have you ever heard that in the gospel message? Those who are on the highway are often scorned by the world. But who protects them? Who comes with retribution? Who comes with vengeance? I don't have to protect my life. My God does. I don't have to keep a record of wrongs. He's good at it. I can pray for those who persecute me. Because if they don't repent, they have to deal with my daddy. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. This sounds like a tollway being turned into a freeway. The price is gone. The pain has faded. The tears have dried up, and they've given away to joy. Do you know what the single biggest mark of a Christian is? It's got to be joy. And when Paul was concerned with the Galatian church, he said, you were running a good race. Who has cut in on you? What has happened to your joy? He said to Cain, Cain, why is your face so downcast? An absence of joy is an absence of the presence of God in our lives. You can stand in a NICU and smile and laugh because your God is bigger than your circumstances. You can stand in a mediation room and put your feet on the table like a king's kid and say this is not really a threat to me at all, my life is hidden in Christ. We have an overwhelming joy or we're not on the highway. If you're not on the highway, how do you get there? You turn, take the service road, get off the old lonely tollway and get on that heavenly highway. A highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. Where is there? A highway will be there. Where is there? Wherever the desert was, wherever the parched land was, wherever the burning sand was, wherever the oppression was, that's where the highway's coming through. He didn't build it through the comfortable pleasure palaces. There's probably not a Starbucks in a play center in padded seats. He brought it to those who yearned for it the most. I want that highway, I want it, and you know what? I'm going to have it because he left it up to us. It's not some mysterious thing that you can't obtain. It's not in the heavens so that you can't grasp it. It's near you. He even put the word in your mouth. And a highway will be there, will be called the way of holiness. No one is on the king's highway if they are not in holiness. Holiness is not a list of things you don't do. It's a list of things that you do because you're obedient to him. Holiness is not that I don't do this, and this, and this. Holiness is obedience to God, whatever he says. If he says it, it's holy. You know, zeal so consumed a man in the Bible that he threw a spear between two adulterers. And he was rewarded from God. I'm glad none of us have spears in our hands. But holiness is doing what God says to do when he says to do it, no matter what it is. Abraham had a faith that was credited to him as righteousness. And what was it that he was doing? He's was taking his son up to a mountain to kill him. That sounds almost perverse, doesn't it? Holiness is obedience to God. And the proof of both of those stories is God didn't want anybody to die. He wanted them to live. The unclean will not journey on it. I am so glad that I will never have to share the heavenly highway with some of the people I share our earthly highways with. You know, that may offend your Christian sensibilities. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He did. He died to purge sin out of this world. He loves us enough to save us from it, and part of that is burning the wicked who will never repent. I do not want to share eternity with some people. Does that that hurt your feelings? I don't have to share a kingdom that will never end with Adolf Hitler. I don't have to. You know why I don't have to? Because he had his opportunity. He preferred the toll road. Is that sad? Of course it's sad. You know what would be worse? To let that taint the kingdom that's to come. Guys, we need to judge right and let every man be a liar rather than God a liar. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. How do you get on the highway? You walk in that way. The Apostle Paul said, I have found the way. Here's how it looks. When Jesus did this, Paul did this. When Jesus stopped, Paul stopped. When Jesus' Spirit said, go there and preach, he went there and preached. When Jesus' Spirit said, do not go here and preach, he did not go there and preach. The Lord was the undisputed champion in his life. Obedience was the marker of his faith to the point that he was beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned and hungry and naked and in danger of false brothers and deserted, but the Lord reigned supreme in him. And he was content in every situation because he was on the highway. Guys, you can't do anything about the opposition that comes your way, but you can get on the highway. And when you are there, You don't have to share it with wicked fools. It's a place that we know the way to that they know nothing of. No lion, oh, it will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ferocious beast will get up on it. They will not be found there. Understand that the lion is devouring those who are on the toll road. He's trying to pick off those who are hanging out on the shoulder of the service road, but he has no business on the highway. He's not admitted on it. He can't reach you there. He can't get you there. And sometimes you need to realize in the midst of warfare, the reason it's so difficult is you're on the wrong road. See, when you're standing in his presence, the devil has no threat to you. If he strikes your body down, you still live. Oh, if you could get what I'm saying, that's how D.L. Moody can say one day you're going to read that I've died, don't you believe it? He was standing on the highway. When you stand on the highway, everything else is the low way. We seek the higher ground. We seek the rock that is higher than us. We seek the way that is better than us. Only the redeemed will walk there. How do you get there? Somebody else had to pay your toll. You had to turn around and you had to change your direction. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy. What kind of everlasting? What kind of everlasting? If you're not happy now, you will not participate then. That's an attitude adjustment. You don't like your marriage. You don't like your job. You don't like your kids. You don't like your finances. Repent. You hear me? repent. You don't like your church? Repent. God has the right to direct our lives, and it's not been a mistake. He doesn't make them. If there's a problem with our life, it's not with Him. It's with us. Repent. Make a U-turn. Get on His highway. Stop with the pity of the old lonely way on the tollway. God does not make mistakes. Some contemplate sin until it seems appealing. I say that each man sins when he is enticed by his own evil desire, dragged away, and put to death. The easiest place to avoid sin is in the enticing desire stage. The longer you sit and you think about something that you know is wrong, the more likely you'll do it. Get off that tollway. Hop onto the highway. Take the prayer express to get there. You can change your location in a second. You know, before you think that you can't endure any more abuse, you can't handle any more, nobody should have to live like this. consider what our brothers have already been through and been victorious. I don't need a pill to make me feel better. I don't have to drink a disease in a bottle and call myself an alcoholic to escape this reality. I don't need to baptize myself in hours and hours of entertainment to feel better about my life and I'm not looking to trade my wife in. I like her just fine because I'm on the highway. The highway is a better way, friends. It's a way of everlasting joy that crowns our heads, gladness and joy that overtakes us, sighing and sorrow They go away. How many of you were in this church when I buried my father? Raise your hand. Anybody like to bury their father? Is that a fun thing to do? I can genuinely say I was excited. He's going to be resurrected. The only low point in the whole thing was when some redneck wanted to fight. That's my family, not yours. You know, but even that, you hug them and you move on. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. This church has been buffeted. We have been attacked. And you can look around and see some have suffered a wound. I say it's time to get on the highway. The lion can't get you there. I can retreat into the presence of God, and you can do what you like to this body, but my spirit's going to live on. I choose to live there. I choose to be with people who are on their way there. I don't really want to talk about going anywhere else. It's for me the highway or nothing at all. I'd like you to consider that the testimony of the early church was that they were followers of the way. Acts 9-2, Acts 19-9, Acts 19-23, Acts 22-4, Acts 24-14, Acts 24 And you know what they're talking about? Walking like Jesus walked. That is the way. If you can show me where Jesus was depressed, Jesus was considering sin, Jesus was defeated and beat up, then we'll let you justify whatever you want to justify. But since in the holy word of God, when he was broken, he called out to his father and he received strength. When he was crucified, he rose again. Then I'm going to expect the same thing from you and I'm going to hold myself to the same standard. There is no place for self-pity in the body of Christ. And the absurdity of leaving a baby that they said won't live and seeing it hold its mama's finger and then walk out and see people fight about money and whine about the hard circumstances. I encourage you to visit Texas children. It'll put it in perspective. Your very breath is a gift. The sooner we start to praise Him for what we do have, gratefulness will cure our problems. Do you hear me? I love this church. And one day I might be preaching just to a couple rows. But we'll be on the highway. We're not going to pretend to go with the crowd on the tollway. In this church, we're going to strain for the highway. Is there anybody who wants to go with me to the highway? Anybody wants to go up? Let's stand to our feet.